0: in the hearts of the people. And we started last week on chapter number 8 and talked a little bit about uh, these uh, leaders that were set up uh, for the good of the people. And uh, Ezra gets up and begins to teach from the law of Moses. And understand that at that time they didn't have a completed Bible like we have, but they did have some of the Scriptures, and they had the law of Moses... And uh, so these are the things that are being te- dealt with and talked about. Let's start reading verse number 4. I'm not going to reteach verses 4, 5, and 6 um, and 7, but when we get to verse number 8, we'll pick up there and, and jump into it. Uh, In verse 4, the Bible says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they made for the purpose. And beside him, and I'm not going to read all those names again. You heard me read them last week, and that was uh, laughable because I couldn't pronounce them all. But there was a bunch of fellows that stood next to him. All right? Uh, In verse 5, And Ezra opened the book uh, in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. By the way, uh, that 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 ought to be our view. Uh, we, we live in a time where even among God's people, we tend to put God in a box, in our middle box of what we understand about Him. Can I tell you, God is un, not able to be understood. We're not able to comprehend His greatness. And I, we've got to be so careful that we don't limit God by... Uh, causing him to fit something that we can wrap our minds around, because God is far beyond that. Uh, when we take our minds as far as they can go in imagining who God is, uh, we haven't even started to describe God. We haven't even begun. Um, God is, is limitless in every aspect, in every area. And so our, our finite minds can't grasp that concept. But it's interesting to note that when Ezra looked at the Lord... He refers to Him here in verse number 6 as the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with the lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. (coughs) And all of these men that are in verse 7 again caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Now, I want us to look carefully at verse number 8, and we'll jump in here. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. There are three things that are mentioned here in verse 8 regarding the reading of the law. And I mentioned just at the end of last week's Sunday school that this is a very good definition of what our, where we get our preaching from today. Uh, we don't just get up and read Scripture without comment, but we try to give the sense of the Scripture. We try to make sure that there is understanding and we're going to see something at the end of chapter number 8 uh, that this understanding is a, is a critical part of what God is doing in the hearts of these people. They can hear it and not have understanding. And God. What, what God does here in just a few moments in this chapter does not happen because of the lack of understanding. And so the understanding has to be there. Now, there's two ways that we get understanding. One is through... Uh, uh, people of God sharing with one another and giving the sense of the things that they understand and that they have learned from the law of God. The second one is, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit also guides us and teaches us in all truth. And there, I think there ought to be in our lives, when we come to Scripture and we read it, there ought to be times that we give before that, that we say, Lord, help me to understand, help my understanding. Open my eyes. Help me to understand the truth of it. Because there is, there is what man can explain, which is very small amounts. And then there's what the Holy Spirit can explain. And there's far greater understanding, I think, given by the Holy Spirit than any man or any preacher. And, uh, but these folks are standing up. They're giving uh, the sense of this. Now, uh, one thing, that if you're in the habit of underlining something, there's a word in verse number 8 I want you to just focus in on like a laser. The Bible says, so they read, the book in, uh, they read in the book, in the law of God, and I want you to notice this word, distinctly. Distinctly. Now, we understand what distinctly means, and we think, okay, that's clarity with clearness and not um, confusion. Uh, there is a, a, an element of this word. I looked it up in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and the very first part of the definition that it talks about here, it lends itself, it does deal with the idea that there's no confusion, that there's, it's very clear to understand. But there's an element of it saying not being mixed with anything else. And I thought of that as I read that definition. I thought, you know, the lack of understanding oftentimes is because we try to mix in other things with it. Have you noticed that? We're living in a day where this is rampant in our churches. They take the Word of God, and there's, there's nothing wrong with them taking the Word of God and preaching it from a pulpit. The problem is they try to mix in worldly thoughts and worldly philosophies and what men say. And that's why we have issues with people that are uh, saying that it's okay to have uh, homosexuals in the pulpit. And that's why churches are, are following by the wayside of saying it's okay to have women preachers. Because they take the truth of the Word of God, and then they take the the philosophy or the thoughts of man, and they mix them and try to come to an agreement. Can I tell you this? My Bible tells me that God's ways are not my ways. They're far above my ways. And His thoughts are not my thoughts. They're far above my thoughts. And for me to think that me as a finite man can add anything to improve on Scripture is of such arrogance that I don't think any man of such mind should be in the pulpit. These things cannot be improved upon. God's Word is what it is. It is pure. It is perfect. And when we come to the law of God, we must approach it in such a way that we keep it distinct. We keep it pure. We keep it unadulterated. We keep it without mixing any impurities of man's philosophy or man's mind or man's concepts into it. It's amazing to me over the years, even in our independent Baptist fellowship of folks, it's amazing to me how many times uh, something is preached from the pulpit and a verse is used to launch into the message, but before it's done, the whole point of the message has been brought about by what a man thinks about the subject. They have mixed man's thoughts and they've tried to make a, a principle that we follow. They've tried to make a doctrine that we follow by mixing what the Bible says with what a man thinks. Can I tell you this? It does not matter what a man thinks. What needs to be taught is, what does the Bible say? It's interesting to me that in verse number 8, when it talks about Ezra getting up, that God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, caused this Word to be put in our King James Bibles. That when they got up to preach they made sure that this book was read distinctly without adding anything into it. Now, that doesn't mean a man can't give the sense of what the Bible says. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is when we take a verse out of its context or we take it uh, as a standalone and we begin to add what we think about a particular situation and we say, okay, our situation is here and I've got this one verse here that I can use to back it up but what does the Bible say? That is what we've got to come to. So, very, under, very important that we understand that this distinctness not be mixed with what we believe about something. Um, it, one of the hardest things as a pastor, one of the hardest things I've had to do over the years, because I was raised in a pastor's home from the time I was in my mom's stomach, I could hear the preaching. And I over the years, have taught things. I I get embarrassed sometimes when I go back and listen to some of the early messages I preached. And if I live another 50 years, I'm sure I can in 50 years look back to things I preach even today. And I just shake my head and think, what was I thinking when I preached that? A lot of times I was preaching things that I had been taught by other preachers, but I was not preaching what the Bible said. We've got to be so careful of this because I, I'm a Baptist. I make no, hold, no bones about that. I'm an independent Baptist. I'll go so far as to say I'm an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James Version Baptist. I have no problem with those terms. I, I feel very strongly in those areas. But I'm afraid that sometimes we use the, the title, the, the group that is identified as such, as our authority. And it is not. This Bible is. And I don't care if there's every pastor in the world that says all one thing. If this book says differently, there is no no discussion about it. This book is right. It costs when we do that. We may lose friends when we do that. It becomes divisive. But it must be done. We must stand on the Word of God and the Word of God alone. Our first and main premise of everything that we hold to as a Baptist is that this book is our soul. S-O-L-E, soul. And I like to add, and only authority when it comes to our faith and our practice. Not this book and Brother Greg not this book in some deacon or some Sunday school teacher not this book in some new york times best selling author religious material but this book alone very important that word distinctly he made sure that when he read the word that it was god's word without him putting in what he thought about the situation god God does not need my wisdom to help Him out. You ever thought about that? We don't say, well, God, I think you're wrong on this. Let me help you with this. No, no. We just take it at His Word. I think our churches would be in a lot better places. I think our people would be in a lot better places if we could ever get this and fully follow it. That we hold to God's Word and God's Word alone. He goes on to say uh, that he gave the sense. I think that's very important. And caused them to understand the reading. Again, I was reminded of the Ethiopian eunuch. I mentioned him last week and how he was reading in Isaiah. And Philip came to him and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I except some man should guide me? And uh, he was able to get into the uh, chariot with the man. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he began to expound to him and to teach and preach Jesus. And the Ethiopian eunuch uh, had understanding. Very, very important that they have understanding. Now, verse number 9, in Nehemiah, uh, which is the, uh, 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 the Tershitha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. Now, we would call this conviction, alright? Verse number 9, there's no 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 uh, no problem with understanding what's taking place here. The law is being read. These people are hearing it and understanding it. They're not just going through the motions. And God pricks their hearts because they realize how they do not measure up to the law that God has given. By the way, that's what the law's purpose is. It helps us to realize we have fallen short of God's standard. And uh, it tells us what God's standard is, so it helps us to live that way. Now, we don't follow the law so that we can be saved, but we do know the heart of God on certain situations because of the law. It's our schoolmaster. And uh, so in verse number 9, these people, they're convicted. And by the way, when conviction comes, there's one of two responses. Well, there's actually a third one, and I'll tell you what that one is in a minute. But there's usually one of two responses. One is, I'm offended, and how dare anybody tell me that I'm wrong? And usually that causes somebody who gets pricked in their heart about what the Bible is saying to get mad at what the Bible is saying and say, I don't want any part of it. What they're saying in essence is, I don't think anybody, even God, has the right to tell me how I can live my life. That's what we're saying when we do that. The other option is to be broken about our failure and get to the place where we long to change in our life. To do something about what the conviction has brought into our hearts. There is a third one. The third one is an apathetic attitude where people just don't care. They're not defiant to God. They're not submissive to God. They just don't care. I fear that in the day we live, there's an awful lot of "I just don't care." I do think that there's plenty, and probably the far excess of any response to uh, conviction is defiance, strong-handed, high-handed rebellion towards God. The day that we live, we see that it is rampant in our society. I I fear that even though outwardly we don't show that, that even sometimes in the lives of godly people, inwardly when that conviction takes place, we bear down and grit our teeth and we don't change. We would never do it outwardly. We would never let other people that we're friends with see that. But we continue in it even though the conviction is there. These people began to weep, and Ezra comes to him, and he says this. He says, Don't weep. Don't weep. I want you to rejoice. Because notice what he says here, verse number 9. For the people, uh, uh, says, uh, And the Levites taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital E. There's a recognition of his position. This, this is a day that is holy unto the Lord. Notice these two words. Your God. You know why they were pricked to the heart? Because they were yielded to what His Word said. They had gotten to a place through the preaching and the understanding that God brought their hearts into agreement with His Word, so much so that Ezra could say, This is is your God. This isn't the God of Israel, this isn't the God of Abraham, as sometimes the the saying is used in Scripture. But these people, because of the God moving in their hearts, had gotten to the place where they were submitted to what God said. That's why the the, the conviction took place, that's why the tears were there, and that's why in verse number 10, Ezra says, "...then said he unto them, Go your way, Eat the fat and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now this is interesting because in verse 8, when the law is written, in verse number (coughs) 9, the response of it is that they weep under conviction, but Ezra says rejoice. Why? Because there's some things in verse 10 that he he alludes to here that I think every Christian, no matter what, when God is working in our lives, we can rejoice in. The first one is found when we get to verse 10. He says, then he said unto them, go your way. (laughs) When our hearts are yielded to God, when we long to follow his word, he directs our steps. And Ezra said, you know what? Now that you're in this place, now that you're in the place where God can guide your steps, go your way and rejoice in it because you're following His steps for your life. By the way, is that held up and backed up by other principles of Scripture? Absolutely. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall what? Direct thy path. Psalm 119, 135. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 12. Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is what? Set before us. He he said, you know what? The, The Word convicted you of where you weren't measuring up. But that's an exciting thing because now... God can direct your steps. So go your way. Go your way walking in the way that God has for you. It is a time of rejoicing. He goes on to say here, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto the Lord. Can I tell you this? We can rejoice because God supplies and meets our needs. Now, I've heard some people say, well, I know some Christians that they don't have anything to eat. And they don't have anything to drink and they're going through some persecution and they're going through some trial. And I understand that. But you know the amazing thing is? When their eyes are on the Lord the way these people's eyes were on the Lord at this point, even in those times, they can rejoice in the provision that God has given them. Now, it may not be what we think it ought to be, but anything that happens, they look at and they rejoice in it. Hold your place here man. We're going to come right back to it. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 17. I love this passage. Jeremiah chapter number 17, verse number 5. For thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. So this is not talking about the, the condition of the people of Israel. This is talking about somebody whose heart has departed from the Lord. For he shall be like a heath in the desert, a little dried up scrub bush, in the desert, in the parched place, it says, and shall not see when what good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and salt land and not inhabit it. Whether it is a, a wilderness and a parched place or not, they perceive it as such. They look at it and they say, I, I'm, I, I'm hurting here. I mean, this is a dried up, barren place in my life. Why? Because our heart departed from the Lord. Now he goes on to say, verse number 7, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a what? Tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when what? You know what this person does? The heat comes, the barrenness comes, maybe even more so than the man whose heart departed from the Lord, but they don't see it. What do they see? They see the water of God. They rejoice. In what God is doing in their life. You say, Brother Greg, is it always going to be pleasant? Is it always going to be good? No. But we can rejoice in the valleys. He says, listen, go your way. Because God is going to direct your steps. Go your way. Rejoice in this. Eat the fat and drink the drink. May not be much, but rejoice in it. Because God has supplied it. Notice he says this also in verse number 10 back in Nehemiah chapter 8. And we'll be done. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. Can I tell you this? When our hearts are the way they ought to be, and they are yielded and submitted to God, and God is able to do His free will in, His, in our lives, it causes there to be a spirit of giving. And there is great joy in it. There is great joy in it. You know, the Bible says, The Lord loveth, the God loveth the cheerful giver. I'll tell you, I, I I don't like the way that we teach tithing anymore. To me, we make it we make it sound like if we if you don't do it, God's going to whip you. He's going to get you. It's and, and you better do it or else. <laughs> that is never what God intended for our giving. The purpose of giving was not because God needed what we had. The purpose of giving was because God wanted our hearts. He wanted us to love him so much and to care for others so much that we say, I'm going to give because there's a need out there. And I want, to, I want to do, I want to be a part of this. We find here, as we get in Nehemiah chapter number eight, that these folks were under great conviction because they realized I do not measure up to what God's word that they had at the time has told me I ought to be. And I'm thankful. That in verse number 9 there were tears. Because my belief is this: had there not been some tears in verse number 9, there never would have been the joy in verse number 10. Oh my. What a life fully yielded to God can produce in us. I've shared so many times before, I heard my dad thousands of times in his ministry make the statement. As a young person, I didn't understand it. But as I've gotten older, I understand it. His comment was this. Some people have just enough Christianity to make themselves miserable. They try to outwardly conform to what the Bible says without there being a change of heart. Can I tell you this? The most joyful, the most peaceful, the most rewarding life there is is a life where we are fully yielded to God to let Him have His way in our hearts. The Bible is not grievous to us at that point. We may read it until then and say, boy, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. That's that's crimping my style. That's infringing on my life. But when our heart is where it should be, when God has control of our will, This book becomes precious to us. We long to rejoice and go our way because He is directing our steps. We long to eat and drink with joy realizing that what I have, whether a lot or little, Paul said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. And that same writer of Scripture later on says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because Paul could rejoice even when he was abased, knowing that God had prepared it for him. Knowing that what supply he had was God doing it. And then to have a giving spirit. When our heart is where it should be, we look at things and we say, Lord, I want to give things to You. I want to find people that are hurting. I want to give to them. I want to help them. I mean, we've only gone through two verses in this chapter this morning, but the richness of what it teaches is unbelievable. It's one of those things that we can spend a lifetime striving for and never achieving fully. That we could get to a place where God has that kind of hold on our hearts. Oh, what an amazing thought. Well, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it or teach us from it. May Your Holy Spirit guide and direct us in the service to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.